This is Glistening Particles, and I'm Jane, your host. I like to hear inspiring stories from people that I barely know and share them with you, and that's what we do here. I never know how it's going to go. I never know what they're going to say, but it's always a good story. In this episode, I talk with Doug Stewart. He recently spoke at TEDx Rally. His presentation called Five and a Half Mentors That Will Change Your Life really sheds a light on how important it is to have people in your life who will believe in you and push you along and help you basically get to those goals. And the word he uses is a disruptor. So someone that basically changes up what you're thinking and what you believe and what you can do. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. Here's Doug. Hi, Doug. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. So we have to always tell how we met. That's the most fun, at least for me. I think people enjoy it. So um, we met because Jason Goldberg, Jason the Speaker, was on on the show early in the early um, recordings, and you and he were both participating in the same TEDx rally rally um, yes. presentation, right? Yes, that's exactly right. All right. So, um, of course, the first thing I did was run out there and check out your TEDx recording, which was awesome. How fun was that, getting up in front of that group and doing that? You know what? It was it was one of the funnest things I think I've mm-hmm. ever done. And and I, and I tell people that the funnest part had nothing to do with the actual talk that I gave, because the truth is, is that's kind of terrifying. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the, fun, the funnest part was being able to spend time with you know, the 12 other speakers and to meet people like Jason and to, 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 to hear those other stories and those other discoveries that other people were having was just, I mean, it was just such a rich, um, experience that, that lasted, you know, six months mm. from the time, um, selection happened to the day of the event and just, just an unbelievable experience that, that, that will go down in, in my history anyway, as I believe one of, one of, um, one of the coolest things that I've been a part of. Oh, that's a great story, you know, because those of us who don't um, do TED Talks, we're kind of out here not really understanding the process. So I didn't realize there was that much lead time into when you did your presentation. So that's good to know. I mean, it's definitely on my list um, to someday be in an audience, at least at a TED TEDx or TED presentation, just to be a part of that energy going on in that room, you know? Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. And then, you know, you, you think about walking out on that stage in front of the pe- the type of people that that would be at a TEDx event mm-hmm. and they 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 want you to win. <laughs> they want to hear good ideas. You know, they want to be inspired. And, you know, you, you stand in front of some groups sometimes and, and people that are listening to this that, that speak for a living or speak at all um, will, will certainly know what this this feels like. But it's almost like sometimes you walk up in front of a group and they have are sitting back and they're like, entertain me make me laugh, you know, tell me something I don't know. Um, but when you stand up in front of a group like the TEDx, TEDx folks, they're on the edge of their seat. They want to hear something great. They want to applaud, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, they, they, they want to have this great experience and they want you to win. And the energy is just different. It's just a different energy. It's unbelievable. That it's like, it's so exciting. I mean, that's exactly it. They're just like eager. They can't wait to get your information and, and it, it must like almost lift you up right? When you're up on stage? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and I would say my, my, the favorite talk that I gave actually wasn't on the TED stage. It was mm-hmm. a few days before in the in, while we were practicing <laughs> because, you know, you're, you're practicing with these people that all have these amazing stories that all have the same, are going through the same thing. They're all, you know, really wanting to give their best performance in the coming days at the TEDx event. Um, and, and, and you're, they're helping you hone your message. You're helping them hone their message. And, and I would say my, my favorite talk that I gave for TEDx was the practice talk. Oh, no, really? <laughs> it was. <laughs> not, not because I think my performance was any different, different but, but it just felt it was, it was more of an organic, like, 
like this closeness with the people who I was fighting with to take this message out into the universe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and that's what I look back on and say, gosh, because you, I mean, I completely blacked out when I'm on the Ted stage. Cause I'm just, I'm just, I'm just sharing with all my heart. And I walked off and I literally had no idea whether I bombed, whether it was good, whether it <laughs> made any sense at all, <laughs> you know? Um, so it's, it's just one of those, it's almost like an out of body experience. Um, because you want to get this message out so badly and you only have one chance and there's not, there's not a redo. You can't stop the, you know, stop and start over. Um, so it's just, it's one of those things that, that afterwards you walk out with it, with an extreme sense of accomplishment, um, that not only you, uh, you did this, um, but also that you were, you had enough courage to share the truth of your story with the world. Um, which, which for me was, was really important. Yeah, your story really, really moved me because I have some experience like that within my own family, you know, what you what you were dealing with in school. And so it really led to what you do today for work, which is disrupting the pattern. And I was wondering if you could just give a little, I mean, not the full TED Talk because people can watch that, but a sure. little bit of a summary of how you, you know, what led you to here today because it's it's so inspiring. So listeners, it'll be in the show notes. Be sure to go back out and watch his talk because you'll want to hear it. It's so good. I don't even know how great the practice one was, but boy, the one that's up is really great. <laughs> well, I, thank you so much for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the, so the short version of my talk is I was born in a small town um, as a kid with a speech impediment, uh, wasn't wasn't very good at reading early, um, had a lot of had a lot of trouble in school from from the very beginning. Um, you know, my, my mom had me tested by the state when I was 11 years old to kind of figure out, you know, how how they could help me um, do better in school. Um, I was I was really far behind. Um, they got the results back from this test, and the test results um, showed that I was not able to write my alphabet from A to Z um, by myself as mm-hmm. an 11 year old. So here I am, you know, with a with a mom and a dad who's telling me, you know, son, you're not stupid. You just you're just different than the other kids. Um, but the truth is, is when you have a test that tells you that that you're incapable of writing your alphabet, um, and you're 11 years old. I mean, you trust the test. <laughs> you say, this <laughs> right. is who I am, and I'm stupid, right? So, and and that and that theme kind of stayed stayed with me through through my adolescence. Luckily, I was given some height. I'm now as an adult, I'm six foot seven, um, and I was I, I grew really fast. So I was a, I was always a tall kid. I always looked like you know I, I joked that in all of my pictures, like my class pictures, I looked like the teacher's assistant. <laughs> Because <laughs> like, I was that much taller um, than than all the um, all my all all my peers, and so uh, luckily that that athletic ability uh, I, I really focused and honed in on that and gave that everything I had, and I was I, I earned the opportunity to um, be looked at by college um, colleges to play. The problem was is my grades were too poor. Mm-hmm. Luckily, there was one university that really took a chance on me, which was Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia. Um, they took a chance on me. Unfortunately, I couldn't pass through the NCAA clearinghouse, which is basically the the body who says you can you can or cannot participate in college athletics. I had to prove myself academically at the college level first. So I had to redshirt my first year, which meant I, I had to sit out and I couldn't play. Mm-hmm. Went through a lot of lot of de- sort of depression and and some other some other issues that year because basketball was all I had, and they took that away from me. And the problem was is that is that you know from the time I was 11 to the time I graduated, I never passed a, a grade on my own um, on my own merit. Right. Um, so I either got pushed through or went to summer school. And then when I got to Liberty, they sort of expected me to do my work. <laughs> right. And, and <laughs> College is funny that way, isn't right. it? And, and that was a problem for me. And so um, uh, it, it just so happened that there was an academic advisor that was willing to be upset with me, not because of my performance, but because of how I thought about myself. Mm-hmm. And she was really one of the first teachers that was willing to disrupt my pattern um, because of the way I thought, not because of the way I was performing or in that case, not performing, mm-hmm. right? I had a 1.4 GPA. I got called to her office. She set me down and said, you know, you're, you're a victim and you're a victim of your own thinking. And, uh, and she let me know that I was going to come to her office every day after school until I changed my mind. 
And my plan was to do with her what I had done with every other teacher, which was wait for them to quit. And I, and I had a particular skill in, help, in, in making teachers quit <laughs> um, at, at that time in my life, and she didn't. Um, the next day I came into her classroom, she gave me a, a stack of colored construction paper and a box of Crazy 8 crayons. And she began to read my homework to me, and my responsibility was to draw pictures with the crayons. Um, and now I'm a six foot seven, 230 pound division one college basketball player coloring, right, right. um, which was, which was devastating to my ego. Um, and, and everyone knows that college basketball players have plenty of ego to, <laughs> and, and she had just cracked mine in half and something funny happened. Um, over the, over the next couple of weeks of doing that every day, I started to be able to remember and recall some of the things she was reading and slowly my mind started to change. And, uh, that's when I found myself at the end of the semester, uh, the, the end of the following semester, sitting at the computer, getting ready to view my grades after basically everyone else had gone home. So the amazing thing was, is that when I, when I saw my grades, I saw that I had gone from that 1.4 all the way to a 3.4. And it was because that Sarah had been willing to disrupt my pattern and to really lean in and help me to sort of change my mind. You know, so, every, every time you tell that, when I hear you say the grade change, I get goosebumps. So in the TED Talk, and then when we did our pre-call, and now, I mean, like, imagine that, that you think all your life yeah. that you aren't capable of that, and then right. you do it. Yeah. And you know, um, Einstein has a really brilliant quote that I think summarizes it really well. And he says that, you know, everyone is a genius, but when you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it'll live its whole life believing that it's stupid. Yeah. And it. what I found out is that I had, I, I was a fish <laughs> and I had judged my capability on my ability to, to climb a tree. Now, what I don't say in my Ted talk is that 1.4, the next semester was a 2.8. And here, and here's why it went down to a 2.8 because I completely stopped worrying about school <laughs> and, and started focusing on actually um, learning the skills that I needed to be successful. Hmm. And at that time, um, history was not one of those skills, right? Um, I, I, I had what I call like this, the, the alarm clock moment. And so the alarm clock moment is, is that moment. And all of us have felt this, right? We felt, had that feeling of like, like that feeling when you wake up and you realize that you've slept in, your alarm didn't go off and you're going to be really late for something that's really important. And you get like that shot of adrenaline, that burst of energy, and you start doing everything you can to try to make up for lost time. Mm -hmm. um, that was the experience I had, not with being late for a meeting or a flight or a class. That's the experience I had for my entire life. Oh <laughs> like, my gosh. I was so late, right? And so I started on this journey to help help me develop. And and now remember that between 2.8 and 3.0 is where I stayed for the rest of my college experience. Mm -hmm. um, and that was that was significantly higher than I had ever accomplished academically. But well, the, and you but, did it on your own. I mean, once you, you were course. doing, like, it wasn't like yeah. in, in school in you know, lower grades or regular school where you were getting help with everything. I mean, this was purely you. Right. Right. And I knew, I knew I could do it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I did, I did exactly what I needed to do to get, to get, um, to get the grades that I needed to get to graduate. But where I was really focused on was life skills. Mm -hmm. And the ability to take the information that I had and to translate it in a way that uh, it could connect to other people. And um, I, I really fell in love with with learning and got really sort of addicted to self-help and business books and, you know, reading things like How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie, you know, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki, right? All of those kind of books. Um, that, that were really expanding my mind really quickly. And I, and I started looking for mentors <laughs> and I needed more mentors than I could possibly have or that were possibly <laughs> available because I had so many areas of life where I was deficient and that I wasn't, I didn't feel prepared. And frankly, I wasn't prepared. And so I found ways to game the, game the mentor system, um, so to speak, by finding, finding mentors that were already available and that I didn't need permission to have. Mm-hmm. So by reading these books and going after that kind of information, you mean? Yeah, yeah. And the other thing I've learned about mentorship is mentors, the people that you want to mentor you, are are almost always attracted to you when you're doing your work first. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. And, and so, you know, when I lay out the five and a half mentors in my in my TEDx talk, there's only one mentor that you that 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 requires a real 
um, a real committed relationship. Mm -hmm. The other four and a half are really choices that we make, Mm -hmm. um, in our, in our day-to-day life. It's, it's the willingness to go ask someone a question that has information that you'd like to have. It's the willingness to go online and learn about things that you want to learn about. Mm -hmm. It's, like it's paying attention to the people that are already in your life. Like, what can I learn from my spouse that I don't know? What can I learn from my kids? What can I learn from my friends? What can I learn from that guy that irritates me that I can't stand that I don't want to be anything like? What is something I can learn? Um, and and it's and it's that attitude. And it's you know one of the one of my favorite quotes is an Emerson quote. And he said, "In my walks, uh, every man I meet is 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 superior to me in some way, and in that I learn from him." And it's the idea that you have an opportunity to learn something about every person and every experience and every circumstance that you encounter. And the question is, is are you willing (laughs) to be humble enough as a human being to, Mm -hmm. to learn those things? I think that's such a huge thing that we are, we're given this message of not saying things like, I don't know, or, you know, acting like we are, you know, performing as if we know everything. And eventually, you know, if you don't, if you, eventually we figure out that that's really not a good way to live, that the joy of living a, a full and rich life is really to know just what you just said, that everybody that we meet knows something that we don't know. Is that, you know, like, and, and that's like, I mean, on every walk of life, I mean, from every single walk of life that you can imagine, there, they, there are people you will meet, every person you meet has something, some story, some experience that you've never had that you can learn from. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things I talk about a lot is, is I I believe that experience is the teacher of fools. And so many of us, and I did this for so long in my life and, and, and still I'm not perfect. I still do this more than I'd like to, but we wait for an experience to, to have a lesson, Mm -hmm. right? So instead of, instead of learning from the experiences of other people, like experiences are important. However, if I have to learn everything that I know by experiencing them firsthand, I'm going to go through a lot of pain and heartache that is unnecessary. Mm-hmm. I could just look at perfect example would be my grandfather. I could look at my grandfather and say, what did he experience that I could learn from so that I don't go through things that he went through? <laughs> I think some people come in with a specific plan or a intention of, of, of not believing those experiences though, don't you? Right. Like some yes. people just need to go the hard way on everything. Oh, there's no question. And, and I'm like that in some aspects. Like, like sometimes I just don't get the lesson and, until life punches me in the mouth. Um, <laughs> and, and there's some things that I've learned that I can't, that I just can't read in a book. Right. Uh, and, and I try not to do that in every way. <laughs> and, and, you know, you have to forgive yourself because you know, some of, some of that is, is the fact that, that I want to, I want to live, I want to live a full life and mm-hmm. I want to live a life where I experience as many things as I can. And you can't do that with timidity. Right. Um, I, I can't be, I can't be timid and be afraid to get hurt or afraid to fail. Um, at the same time, before I do something s- stupid, I should probably look <laughs> around me and say, has anyone else done this stupid thing before? Um, and there's and, usually and how did it go and how did it go? <laughs> how did it go? Or how could I do it differently? Or how could I use that, um, to, to make, uh, give me a better shot when I try it. Right. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's something that we, that we miss sometimes. So I, uh, how did the, your shift in going from wanting to be a learner and really seeking affect other parts of your life? Um, you know, it was, it was, it was easy in some ways uh, because when you, when, when as a kid growing up, you only are a failure, you fa- every teacher hated me. Um, I hated every teacher. <laughs> I, I, I failed every semester. Um, once my attitude changed, um, I was, I wanted to achieve, but I had no fear of failure. Hmm. There was no fear because I was so used to failing Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I was so used to people shaking their head and having pity on this kid that has this great athletic ability, but nothing between his ears. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so I, I had no fear. And so the way that those two things worked out for me was I was, I was willing to test things and I was willing to um, try things that other people hadn't tried. And I was, you know, I was, I was willing to, you know, go on my journey without caring at all what other people thought about what I was doing. 
And so it gave me a lot. I was able to be really nimble in, in my career and in my, you know, in my, you know, personal life. And so those, those things mixing together. And that, that goes back to just sort of forgiving yourself for your weaknesses and and doubling and tripling down on your strengths. And Mm -hmm. I just focused on, you know, what is the next turn? I don't, I don't need to know what's going to happen five years from now. You know, I know the direction I want to go and I know I want to impact a lot of people's lives. I want to, I know I want to help as many people as I can and live the most authentic life as I possibly can. Um, but I don't need to know what the end looks like to Mm -hmm. make, to make a new decision today. That's a really good way of thinking. And you know what you said too about the fear and not being, you know, not being afraid of Mm -hmm. failure. I think sometimes it goes the other way. Like when, um, children are going through school and everything comes really easily and they're like the most liked and everything is just cake, you know, Yep. yep. then when they get out in the real world and there are times when people fail or or either, either they like have to live within this timid box of, I'm not going to take a risk or, Failure is like a huge brand new thing that's really hard to handle. <laughs> right, right, right. It's it's absolutely true. And and the blessing for me was is that that I had I had been immune I had become immune to that feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I certainly care what people think, and I want people to like me, and I want people to care for me. Um, at the same time, I don't need to be accepted um, by every person. Um, in, in order for me to try something new. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I try something new and it fails, I'm not that thing. Uh, you know, I, I grew up uh, working at my grandfather's furniture store when I was a kid. He put me on his sales floor when I was when I was 12 years old. Um, and I was selling furniture as a 12 year old because I could always talk. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, couldn't, I couldn't read, um, <laughs> but I could talk. Um, and, you know, being on the sales floor at 12, one of the valuable things it taught me was that I'm not the thing that I'm doing. Mm. I'm, some, I'm something else and I'm something bigger. So when I had a when, when a customer would come in and say, no, they don't want to buy this sofa from me. Mm-hmm. It, you know, at first it hurt my feelings and I took it really personal. And one of the things I learned was, is I'm not the sofa. Right. <laughs> they don't. They don't want the sofa. <laughs> this, it has nothing to do with me. I'm completely out. My self-worth is completely outside of that thing. And, and I think that relates directly to my life today is that if someone doesn't accept my direction or my opinion or my position or my whatever, they're not they're They're saying something about what they believe. Maybe mm-hmm. it's not speaking to who I am as a human being. It's, it's, it's not going to sh- it's not going to shake uh, my identity because they don't accept something because look, they're fighting their own thing. They're trying to, they're trying to create their, their own, you know, their, their own future. And, and not everyone has to align with me all the time. And that's okay. Right. Exactly. Like that's the thing I think people forget that it's okay. We don't all have to agree. We don't, but we, there's room for everybody. You know what right. I mean? And, and we shouldn't, we shouldn't agree. Right. Right. <laughs> Everything. Um, I, I say this, I say this all the time, particularly to people that are married. Um, but one of the things that Dale Carnegie said that I, that I absolutely adore, he said that if two people agree all the time, one of them is unnecessary. Oh, good way to put it. I like that. <laughs> and so if you think about, you think about your significant other, um, you know, you think about, you know, the, the relation that your friends, the relationships you're close to. Well, if you agree with them all the time, you don't need them <laughs> because they, because you have everything already, right? I mean, right. what we really need is people that are willing to disagree with us and willing to call us out and willing to 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 be in conflict, healthy conflict with us and to tell us, "Hey, bro, you're doing something <laughs> dumb that I don't agree with right now," you know? And um, you know, a, a knife never got sharper, um, you know, by not getting, you know, not having some conflict and some, some rub. Right. I mean, <laughs> and, don't you love that when someone, I, I used to, I, I used to be the person who didn't want to have any of those conflicting conversation or conflict conversations because I, for whatever reason, it made me uncomfortable. And now I'm like, Oh, tell me what you think. Cause I want to see how my brain processes that and how I can see it. Like, it's almost like being able to pick up something that you have in 2d and now see it in 3d. That's what that conflict gives you. That's other right. Perspectives. That's right. Well, and, someone and, should write that down. That was a pretty good quote. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's so true, though, you know, because we we fall into this thing where we believe that every thought and every emotion we have is is right, and it, and and we know that's not true, but we operate in a way that 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 says that it's true, right? right. Like 
I, I think that I'm right, and I think my emotions are always right. But anytime I've been in front of a group of people, and I say, show of hands, how many of you know that you've made a wrong choice or thought a wrong thought before? Well, everyone raises their hand. Mm-hmm. Well, who's to say that that next thought you have is going to be the right thought? So why not test it? Why not throw it out there? Why not ask someone you care about? I mean, Brene Brown talks about sharing your, sharing your story mm-hmm. and just saying to someone, you know, this is a story I'm telling myself. You know, how do, how are you telling, you know, what story are you telling yourself about this situation? And there's, there's typically truth in both stories. Yeah. I probably could write a book on that particular thing. <laughs> I'm a little over, oversharing on the stories of people who know me. <laughs> like, yeah. here's what I'm thinking is going on in this situation. What do you think? And most times I've got it about half right, which is good that I have people around me that will tell me that. So. Yeah. And that's, and that's perfect because the truth is, is at any particular time, we only have half of the story because we only have our experience. (laughs) We don't know their story. Right. right? And so if we're not willing to ask, then it's going to be awful hard for us to get more than half of the information. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to make very many decisions when I only have half half of the information when the other half is standing in front of me and I can ask the question. Right. Well, usually I make up their part. You know, I make up their part of the story, however I like it. (laughs) Of Which isn't course. helpful either. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> so um, now that you've, you've you've gone through college, you've um, gone in to become a life learner, how did you take all of that and create what you're doing today? Like what, what brought you to who you are today? Which um, for a short name, I'm calling you Doug the Disruptor, which is a really, <laughs> a, people will want to know that. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, you know, the, I, I would say the way I got here was really just caring an awful lot about other people. Mm. Uh, and, and I know that that sound that when I say it out loud, it feels self-serving. Because it feels like the guy that's like, I'm the most humble, I'm way more humble than everyone else. Um, and, and that's, and that's not true. Cause part of it is I care a lot for other people and I wanted to give the same gift that Sarah gave me. Um, and I get a tremendous amount of fulfillment out of that journey. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I, I left college or when I graduated from college, I moved home and took over my family business, third generation furniture company. Um, and I ran that company from 2009 till 2011. And I realized that there was, there was more that I wanted to accomplish. And, um, I decided I was going to, I was going to, um, do a going out of business sale and leave the company. Um, and my, my family took extreme offense to that because I think, I think they saw, um, family business and family in general as being synonymous mm-hmm. and something that you couldn't disconnect. So I think a certain part of them felt as though you leave the, you leave the business, you leave the family, um, because it's the same thing. Um, and so I, you know, I was, I was willing to do what it took. Um, so I walked away, mm-hmm. no going out of business. I handed, I handed the keys over what left, left a tremendous amount of opportunity on the table. Um, and, and started on this, started on this journey. Now, what I, what I haven't told you is that same month, um, that we lost 65% of our income for making that decision. Um, my wife quit her job, um, because she was, uh, nine months pregnant and we added our first child. Oh boy! Um, and so, <laughs> you know, 65% of our income was gone. My wife was, um, was a new stay at home mom and I was in transition and, um, was no longer a business owner. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, I mean, everything had really been disrupted and, um, it's what I felt like I had to do. And I didn't know what it meant or where it would end. Um, I just knew that I had to do what it took to be able to work within my strengths and to mitigate my weaknesses as much as possible and to help as many people as I could. And I had an opportunity to take the Dale Carnegie course, um, because a friend called me and said, Hey, my company's making me take this stupid eight week course (laughs) that, that I have to take, but if you'll come, you won't have to pay for it. Oh, nice. And and I said, heck yeah, I'm there. So I went and then I found out when at the end of the eight weeks, um, that you could go back and be a graduate assistant. So I asked how much that cost and they said, well, it's free. You just have to give your time. And so I did that for nine consecutive times. And this is an eight week course. Oh my Um, gosh. Fell in love with it. Got really close to the people at Dell Carnegie training, had an opportunity to become an instructor. Um, and, and have really just, really just shared my story because really any, anything that I've taught, any, any, any of this conversation that we have, any place that I, that I, that I sort of encourage people to think differently or be differently or, or, or choose differently. These are all things that I'm either currently working through myself or I have worked through. 
Um, it's not armchair psychology, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's just, I think it's just me being, it's partially me being really willing and open to share my experience and my story. Um, and also, <laughs> and also have a complete, uh, uh, immunity to failure. Right. Because like when you talked about here, you are 65% of your income is gone. Your wife is now a stay at home mom and you have another mouth to feed and you're yeah. in that situation. It's almost though like that kind of um, creating that kind of situation almost forces you to really go, what is most important to me? What do I really, really want to do? Because that that's like the, the those spots, people think those are the horrible spots, but those are actually the sweet spots. When we look back, those hardships are the ones that force us to step up or fail. You know, I mean, you know, and yep. you obviously stepped up. Yep. And you know, one of my first speaking engagements, and this is, this is amazing because <laughs> many people would look at it on paper and say, going out of business and that was, was a failure, right? Um, right. One of my first speaking engagements was for, um, for, for an organization called Furniture Today. Uh, and Furniture Today asked me to come give a talk about succession because I had a very particular experience um, mm-hmm. because I was the last of the three generations of my family. And so I, I got my first, I got my first um, opportunity to speak in front of a large group not because I had accomplished anything, <laughs> but because I had failed miserably in the eyes of society. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so those, those failures, I mean, that's, that's, it's priceless to me that, that I've had those failures. It's absolutely priceless. It's priceless to me that, that I've gone through what I've gone through with my family and that I had to fight and scrap and, and, and to, to just provide for my household while I was going through this transition. Mm -hmm. And it's funny that when I'm working within my strengths, I don't have to think about the money Mm -hmm. because the money, the money happens. Um, it's when I try to hold on to it super tight and figure out how to squeeze an extra 10%. Um, that's when things go sideways. That is so the truth. I mean, when you, when you do what you love and it lights you up and you know that you're doing something that's serving in some way, Mm -hmm. It's almost like everything else just lines up. And the minute you start to think about, oh, how can I make money at this? Or how can I, whatever, is when everything gets really, I don't know, staticky. That's probably the yep. best word I can use. Yep. And, and I believe that money is a symptom. Mm. It's, it's a symptom. It's, it's not the end and it's not the beginning. It's a symptom of something else. So I, I read this, this amazing book by uh, a, an Orthodox Jewish rabbi. His name's um, Rabbi Daniel Lappin. I think I've and, heard of him. Okay, go on. He's, he's brilliant. And his book was called Thou Shalt Prosper. Okay. So in this book, Thou Shalt Prosper, he, he explains that money is basically a, a, a certificate of appreciation. So mm-hmm. when you make money, it's someone saying, you've provided value from, to me, so this is how I pay you back. Right. It's it's not a way it's not something that we manipulate from people or take from people or trick people or or marketing. It's not a ta- you know, we don't use tactics. But I know when I come with with my whole heart and I say, um, I'm going to I'm going to get into um, whatever we need to get into for the next eight weeks in this, you know, in the Dale Carnegie course or in one of my one on one coaching practice. Um, and and my measuring stick is your success. It's funny when it's about them and their development, mm-hmm. people are much more likely to spend money. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> right. You know, but if I say, you know, but if I send out an email to 50,000 people and say, you know, one time off or 50% off, the response is different mm. because it's not about the money. Right. And there are so many people that are, that are doing things for the money and the money will happen. The money's just a byproduct. It's just, a, it's a symptom of, of a much bigger, much more valuable thing that you're offering. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a certificate of appreciation and money's important and we all have to have it. Right. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not like the anti-money. I believe <laughs> that you should make as, I, I believe you should make as much money as you possibly can, as long as it lines up with the value you provide. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and for some people that's, that's $500,000 a year. For some people, that's 50. And you have, and you know, meritocracy is a beautiful thing. And you have to be willing, if you're going to live wholeheartedly, be willing to accept that symptom, whatever the symptom is mm-hmm. and how much it is. But I think it's when people, you're, we're saying though, that when people go at it from the other perspective of like, what can I do to make X a number of dollars versus right. here's what I'm going to do. And then the, the dollars, whichever they are, will come in. It's such a different energy that you're putting out and a different um, response that you're getting back. It is. 
It is. Absolutely. No question. Yeah. So you're doing, okay. So you, you were hanging out with Dale Carnegie people a lot. And, and actually I bet that was a huge, like I was thinking about that, like when you're in a, a growth phase, which I ideally we are in all the time, but when you're first getting into that, if that's not your where you were before. Like for me, there was a period where I probably wasn't as much in a growth stage. And then you surround yourself with people that are doing that. Oh my gosh, it's like the best fertilizer, isn't it? It is. It is. And, you know, enthusiasm is contagious. Absolutely. And, you know, that's why, you know, you look at, you look at all these studies about income and and you see that, you see that oftentimes people's income is within about 10% of their five best friends. Right. Oh, really? Um, That's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, and and I think a lot of that has to do with with being around the people that edify you and that support you. You know, beautiful things happen. And when you're in a business context, that makes sense. In a spiritual context, that makes sense. In a personal context, that makes sense. Um, it's it's just a law that is true. It's just one of those things that when you surround yourself with people that are um, that are that are on running the same race, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and you invest yourself with those people, they give you energy that you wouldn't have had otherwise. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. So you're doing okay, so so I need to get more friends. I think we're saying that. That's what we're saying. <laughs> so, Find some rich friends. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's probably not on my. Yeah, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> so um, you're doing the Dale Carnegie. You're um, you're doing some coaching. And what else What else came out of this? What was the third? There were three things, I think, when we talked that were the three areas you're working. Yep. So I've, I've always, because I think furniture is in my blood, I've always <laughs> stayed pretty close to the industry. So I, I also um, hold a role as director of training for a company called Mega Group USA, which is a um, furniture buying group um, for uh, retailers, small independent retailers in the furniture, appliance, uh, and bedding world. Mm-hmm. And so... I mean, for all intents and purposes, my responsibility is to support, um, give give training assets and coaching to uh, retailers that are very much like my parents and my aunt and uncle and my grandma and grandpa, the people that were small business people. Um, and so we've got about seventeen hundred members across the country um, that that are a part of our a part of our organization, our group. Um, and it's, it's just really rewarding work because, and the cool thing is, is I've been able to carve out this weird little career where, um, I'm helping different people mm-hmm. and you know, there, there are different people at, that I work with at Dale Carnegie. There are different people that I work with with mega and there are different people that I work with in my one-on-one coaching practice. Um, and they're, and I get to do the same exact work with all three groups. That's so cool. I mean, just the fact that you get to mix in different worlds like that, mm-hmm. what, a, what a great creation you have there. It's awesome. And it, and it, and it hurt an awful lot to get here because it took a lot of sacrifice and Mm -hmm. it took a lot of, of me turning down things that weren't in my best interest or in the best interest of my vision Mm -hmm. or the best interest of my strengths. (laughs) I was going to say by what you're doing with the, with mega is really doubling down on your strengths again, because you have that really innate understanding of that industry that you're Mm -hmm. bringing to it, what you've learned in a new way. That's really great. Very insightful. So um, I have a couple questions that came up along the way. And one is, so with what you went through in school and and to your life so far, what would you say to teachers who are in the school system today, you know, the, you know, K through 12 school system who come across kids who might look similar to how you looked at that time? I, think, I know I threw you off with that. We didn't talk no, about that no, question. No, no, no. I, I, I love that. I love that question. And and the reason I love it is because it it made me sit back and think, what would I say to my teachers? Right. Um, and I think I think that the truth of of if if I were to answer in the most truthful way in terms of my own experience, mm-hmm. um, I would say let them have their experience. You know, um, I, I was, I can look back now and think, you know, I had teachers that were, that encouraged me mm-hmm. and I had teachers that loved on me and I had teachers that helped, you know, wanted to hold me to a higher standard. And some people just have to, you know, who, who knows? I mean, there's, there's, it's not like meeting Sarah. It's not like Sarah was the first person who cared about me. 
Right. The first person who I pissed off. <laughs> she certainly wasn't the first person for that. Right. right. And, and there was something about where I was in my journey and her willingness to disrupt um, that that made it a breakthrough for me. And so I think uh, it, it brings me to this idea that um, Susan Scott wrote when she wrote um, Fierce Conversations. Okay. Um, which is which is a great book, by the way. And so what she says is um, not every conversation um, can change the world, but any conversation can. Oh, I like that. And that's, that's a little so bit of, that's a little bit of a par- paraphrase of her quote. Um, but the, the, the spirit is certainly there. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think for teachers, the biggest thing to know is that that not you're not always going to win and you're not always going to turn every kid around. And not every effort that you give will make a difference, but any effort can. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you just have to know that they, some kids need their journey and some kids need to be, you know, for life to punch them in the mouth when they're, you know, when they're a 20, you know, two year old <laughs> jerk division one college basketball player, you know, right. because it's been easier for me to have that experience in second grade. Um, and I also know that my second grade teacher didn't hate me. I mean, she cared an awful lot right. and she, and she would have loved for me to have that same transformation. Um, and so, you know, I would just say, you know, be, be encouraged and, and know that, that any conversation or any act of, of kindness or love can be that catalyst. And it's not your responsibility for the outcome, your effort, your, it's your responsibility for the effort. Okay. So do you think, like, would you say that the message is to keep trying however ways makes sense, but not giving up. Yeah. I think it's just a matter of just just doing the right thing and not, not feeling tied to the outcome Mm -hmm. and their response isn't your responsibility. Cause I think it really can be such a timing thing. Like I look at the people in my own life, like all around and think, you know, some of them figured things out when they were five and some of the, some (laughs) of them figured things out when they were 40 and, um, you know, that sweet spot moment we were talking about where it got really hard and then, you know, you had to really scrap, scrap you know, to yes. make it. I had that probably like five years ago. So I waited. I mean, I school was fine. All that was fine. But like for what, where I really woke up into what my life is and what I really want to be doing and giving, that took me a really long time to figure out. Yeah. So, um, but hopefully, you know, all along the way, some good things are happening. Um, what would you say to kids? who are in your situation in school? Like if you had an 11 year old that was feeling really stupid, what would you say? Find your strengths. Okay. Find your strengths. Um, you know, I, I think the, the most brilliant quote that every, every kid should, should learn is that Einstein quote that everyone's a genius. Right. And if you judge yourself, if you judge a fish, by its ability to climb a tree, it's going to live its whole life believing it's stupid. And so you don't have to be good at what your friends say you have to be good at or your parents or your, like, it doesn't matter. The question is what lights, what sets you on fire and where is your talent? Where is your, where, where can, where is your strength? Mm -hmm. And so I think the more we can teach our children and this is, look, I've got a five-year-old, so I'm, I'm navigating this right now. Mm -hmm. And you know, how, how do I, how do I help her find what she's good at and not, and not tell her she's good at things she's not. And I was just going to say that that is exactly like the, uh, that's exactly it. Like I think we get in the habit or I, I probably did maybe other parents or teachers of just like praising kids for everything. Right. Yes. And I think it's important to praise, um, effort and courage and intent and things like that. But the mm-hmm. truth is, is, is okay. So it's like this. My, my daughter is just a, a beautiful soul and she has, she has a musical ear and she loves music. Um, but you know what, when she's 12, if her singing voice sucks, right. I'm, I'm going to tell her. <laughs> exactly. I'm absolutely going to tell her. And because she doesn't need to think that she's going to be Adele if she sounds like Kermit the Frog. Right. Right. And, and it's it's because I love her and, and not to not to cut her down because right. there's plenty of kids that have that story that everybody said I stunk and I stayed with it. And now I'm the best in the world. Of course, that's possible. Um, but, you know, when it when it comes to our children, I think it's so important to not give eighth place trophies right. and to really reward them for things that they're doing well 
And then the courage that they've had, because there's a difference between me saying, sweetheart, soccer is not your thing, um, and saying, and focusing on the effort she gave on the field. I don't have to pull her out if she stinks. Mm-hmm. Right, <laughs> right, right. And so there are other things because they need to test things. And, and I believe with my, with my child, um, I believe it's my responsibility as a father and a parent to shepherd her through every possible emotion before she leaves my care at 18. Mm-hmm. Um, because mm-hmm. I don't want her to try to figure out how to deal with a broken heart her freshman year of college by herself. Right. I want her to, I want, now I don't want her, I don't want to see her break her heart. Right. I don't want to see that, but I want to find a way to help her navigate that emotion at least once or twice, (laughs) because we all know that we go through those things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like I don't I don't mind when my daughter falls down and skins her knee, you know, like those are I I want her to have non fatal as many non fatal errors as she can before she leaves my care, because skinning her knee and knowing the consequences of that have direct relation to um uh, to, to her uh, texting and driving. Right, right. Like, but but the outcome is quite different. Right. Well, and I think it just builds that resiliency, right? Yes. If they, that, that is really the key to whatever we attempt to do in life, no matter whether it's singing or climbing a mountain or being a school teacher, we have to have resiliency That's right. to not let every bump knock us down and be able to get up again. You know, that's the thing. So you're, you're right. Like I... I I think I be I think I became a better parent with um, as I moved through uh, my two kids. You know, they're seven years apart. Right. The second one um, is getting a much more evolved mom who lets mm-hmm. him definitely have a lot more falls and um, is way less helicoptering around him <laughs> and protecting right. him. Right. And um, I wish I would have known those things earlier. So it, it does. It's huge to have those experiences. Like when I was growing up, we we skinned a lot of knees. We you know got yeah. into a lot of shenanigans and but those things are what built my character to be tougher you know in yes. a good way in a good yes. way yes yeah and and I think that's something that's easy for us to beat ourselves up about like right right like, like you just said like my second kid got a better experience well maybe not right you know yeah. maybe maybe what your your first child needed is all you what you had to give is all you could give and that's all you gave and and that's the best experience that that's right. going to serve him yeah. you know like that's true like the, the, the bubble isn't helpful, you know, and, um, you know, I look back on my childhood, like the way I learned how to swim literally was my dad picked, pick, took me on the boat, picked me up and threw me in, in, <laughs> in a muddy river. You know what I mean? And my mom like completely lost her mind, um, because, and, and that's how, you know, my, my dad had a different experience and he believed in different things than, than I would do with my kid. Uh-huh. But I look back and think, holy cow, like he made me so like, gritty mm-hmm. that, you know, I, it, it's, it's one of those things where I think if we're bringing all we have to give in every moment to our right, children, right. Things will work out. And then we have to be willing to sit down across from them when they're 24 right. and to say, I'm sorry, <laughs> because we all are going to screw up our kids in some <laughs> way or another. Right? Yeah, I already and, did that with the 22 year old a couple times already, <laughs> but yeah. you know what, you know what the coolest thing though is to see that Oh my gosh, to watch them thrive, to watch them find their own two feet, you know, right. after whatever parenting style they had to yes. see that at, at this stage is, oh, it's the golden moment for me to see him like really stepping into who he is. It's, yes. it's really exciting. Yeah. Awesome. Even though I didn't throw him in, in the river. <laughs> and actually when he fell off the side of the pool, I dove in in front of all the other kids at the lesson to pull him out. <laughs> <laughs> So embarrassing. Yeah, those were the moments. Um, you know, before we get to, we're, we're getting to the end here, um, I wanted to ask you, what's something new that you're curious about, like something outside of furniture and um, Dale Carnegie and the, the work that you're doing, like something new that's kind of calling your attention that you're start, starting to research and look into? Hmm. One of the biggest things is I've, I've been really obsessed with the idea of strength mm-hmm. um, lately. And so I've, I've been focusing back in 2012, I took this assessment called strengths finder 2.0. It's a, it's a, it's a strengths evaluation or assessment, um, created by Gallup, the the research group. Uh, And it it was one of the things that really gave me a lot of self-awareness around which direction I should go based Mm -hmm. on the strengths I had. Um, and so I've been using that more and more in my practice, 
um, with other people. And, and I found that the more I can help other people talk about and identify and, um, and, and, and embody their strengths, uh, the, the faster they develop. Right. And, mm-hmm. and so that's, that's something I've given a lot, a tremendous amount of reading and research and thought and conversation about. Um, and I'm just, I'm super, I'm super into the idea of, um, how do you identify and then deploy your strengths in the most effective way toward the thing that, um, that, that, that is your vision. And, you know, I think people a lot of times wonder like, well, what is, what is my mission? What is my purpose? What is my vision? And I've, I found that the people who are the most direct or have the best understanding of what that is for them, they are people that have clearly identified one of two things, either something that they want to stand for or something they want to stand against. Hmm. And then, and then finding things inside of, of that idea, um, and that that's a really good uh, um, that's a really good compass I found for um, for for finding your purpose. That's I, that's really simplified, which is nice because I think people get so wrapped up in like this mega mega research or thought process of trying to yeah. figure that out. So yeah. I, I you know when you were talking about strengths, it made me think of something. So um, I know for myself. It's the things that I'm curious about that really light me up and charge my enthusiasm. And I was wondering, and I just, I just so happens that oftentimes they have, they correlate to my strengths mm-hmm. or they are a build, a builder for a weakness. Do you right. find that, that um, when you did your strengths analysis, that those things that you were really the best in correlated to things that you're curious about or have like a, a enthusiasm about? Yes. A hundred percent. Um, because those, those were the things that, um, that gave me a lot of energy because, because there was, there was not a cap on, on a strength, right? Because a strength isn't just like, it's not like I'm good at developing websites. It's Mm -hmm. that I'm, I'm creative and there's a thousand different ways that you can be creative. Right. Mm -hmm. And so there's no, there's no cap. So it's like, how else can I use this thing that I do well? Where else does it apply? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I find I get a lot of energy, um, from, from that, that curiosity factor. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think that I've, I've become more and more curious, um, the further I've, I've gone along on this journey, um, not only for my strengths, but you know, how does, you know, how do I help someone else understand their strengths mm-hmm. and then, you know, d- deploy that in a, in a unique way. Yeah. I'm turning into a curiosity junkie. I'll just admit that to everybody. I might have to start like a 12 step group about this because <laughs> I get so distracted by my curiosity. It's like, Oh, how does that happen? I need to know more yeah. about that. And then, Oh wait, I need to like make dinner. I need to go back to that again. And, so, and the beautiful, <laughs> the beautiful thing about that. Now I want, I'd like to add this one thing, the beautiful yeah. thing about that and, and why I admire that trait so much in, in you and in other people is because curiosity and judgment can can never be in the same place at the same time. Mm, I and love that. I, I found that the any time that I'm curious, I am incapable um, of being judgmental. But but any time that I'm judgmental, I am incapable of being curious. Yeah, I told. I mean, it makes sense now that you describe it like that, and I think that's why. I think that's why curiosity is my greatest strength because when I'm out, like I was uh, out traveling for a couple of weeks solo and just meeting people um, and hearing stories and literally, I mean, I was spent time with a homeless man who was, mm-hmm. who had a heart three times as big as his body, Yep. you know, and then people at all, and then people all walks of life beyond that. And I, and I'm just so curious about them that I never, like, all I want to do is hear their stories and love them. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's, there's like no judgment in there at all. It's just everybody's following their path, whatever it is. Right. And I'm lucky to pass that, to pass along. Like, like the two Parisian men on the side, on the ocean, on the coast, <laughs> at the pullover place for a picture, like hearing their story about their travels in the U.S. I mean, all those things, just love it. No judgment whatsoever, for sure. Right. Right. So um, what's like, I need to get one tidbit out of you because everything really keeps coming back to your your life work and your purpose. What is it that you like, do you still go out and um, throw the, you know, shoot some hoops anymore? Like, what do you no. do just to like get into chill Doug zone? Um, I do my work. Okay. <laughs> I, I do. I do. I, I wish I could tell you that I, I golfed or played basketball or, you know, when, when I, when I decided, um, to, to really focus on my purpose, my purpose mm-hmm. gives me energy. Okay. And so it's, it, it, 
you know, Seth, Seth Godin has a tremendous quote on this. And he says, you know, create a life for yourself that you don't need a vacation from. Mm, yep, that's um, true. And, 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 I've, and, I've, and I've done that. And I've made great investments in my, in my wife and my daughter. And so my chill time is, you know, hanging out with them mm-hmm. and then getting, getting to go to work. Right. And my work is what, what, what balances me. And because, because I'm working for a, an eternal purpose, I'm working for a greater purpose mm-hmm. and it's not for, you know, the, the end of the quarter or the end of the week or the end of the month or for a paycheck or for a pat on the head. It's, it's for, it's for real change. And when you see people, and that's why I tell people that what I do for a living is I watch miracles happen. Mm-hmm. And it's not because I'm smart or it's not because I'm evolved or enlightened or any of that. Other. <laughs> well, you might it's, be some of those. I think you're a few of those things, but well, I'm, I, I, <laughs> or all I, of them, actually. I am relative to who I was. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I also know that I still have a lot of work to do on on and inside of myself. And, you know, my life's purpose has been to invite other people on that journey and mm-hmm. to not be above or below anyone else. Just, just be who I am. And, you know, when, when you get to do that, you get to see other people, um, have these ex- explosive, explosive life changes and their mind shifts. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't need a vacation from that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I totally get what you mean. I think we use the word work, like even this, the, uh, the podcast thing that I'm doing, yep. you know, essentially people will call it work or I'll call it work. And it's not actually my day job. It's my, it's my mm-hmm. fun. And and every, like people will think, well, why, you know, you're, you're constantly doing these work things. I'm like, you know what though? They fill me up. Like I am fill, full to the brim of enthusiasm because of this experience. So why wouldn't I want to do that? I don't get that from, you know, going to the bar or drinking or, um, baking all weekend. I don't get those, that from those things. I get it from this. And so why wouldn't I do more of it? You know, cause it's got a greater purpose. And I think that's what you said. It's, it's for something bigger than us. Yeah, yeah. And so the real question is, is how do I relax? I just go to sleep. <laughs> I do that too once in a while. Yeah. Sometimes I, mean, I even I, brush my hair just to relax. <laughs> and, 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 I, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm super protective over my sleep. And I, and I sleep eight or nine hours a night without oh, question. Nice. nice. And, um, you know, that's, that's, I guess that would be my, my solitude. But gosh, when, when I'm awake, I've, I've got... I've got stuff to do that I love to do. So right. why, would I, why wouldn't I do as much of that as I can? Yeah, that's good. No, I think that's a good example. And I yes. totally get it. I'm the same way. I'm not as protective over my sleep, which is starting to uh, become obvious um, <laughs> by the look of my eyes right now. But yeah, that is something I'm working on. <laughs> well, listen, Doug, it has been such a pleasure talking to you. Seriously, this was when all these places I never know. And it was so fun. Same, um, same here. I've, I've enjoyed it very much. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. So tell us again where people can find you and I'll put this up on the show notes, but just to uh, give a quick plug for that. Sure. I'm, I'm Doug Stewart, 919, almost anywhere. So Doug Stewart, 919.com or Twitter or Snapchat or Facebook or LinkedIn. Um, I'm the same everywhere. All right. Does 919 have something significant? I live in Raleigh, so that's that's my that's my area code. Oh, nice. Okay, got it. <laughs> and um, we'll put the TED Talk up as well, and that's on your site. I was looking at it again today, so it's all there for people to take yeah. a look at. Absolutely. Thank right. you. Keep keep doing meaningful work. Oh, you too. Thank you. Bye. Oh, there were so many good things in that conversation, like um, basically watching miracles happen and finding your strengths and you know, not believing the things that maybe we're believing in that aren't right about ourselves. But the thing that really stuck with me was this whole concept of a disruptor in our life. And it made me think about, I I was trying to look back and, and maybe look at how many times were there moments like that where the disruptor was there, the person or the event or the thought even, that could have changed my track and gotten me onto something that was really really, really taking, you know, using my strengths and following my curiosities at an earlier stage in life. You know how we talked about what could teachers do? What would he say to teachers and what would he say to students? You know, he said, you know, some people, it's just their path. It's a path they have to go on because they're not supposed to hit that until a certain point. But it just makes me wonder. I think about 
like uh, my gym teacher back in high school who really wanted me to play volleyball and there was no way I was going out in those shorts and I think about how how different my life would be if I would have tried that you know what I mean not been afraid to do that so if any of you listeners are out there kind of on the cusp of something like that hopefully um, Doug's message came through loud and clear about um, watching for those disruptors and really the impact that they can have on our whole life and everyone around us. Thanks for listening.